Well, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to begin looking at verse 19. As we come to Ephesians 2, verse 19, uh, Paul is really beginning to close out. If you really, really want to say this, 19 and 22 would just kindly be the conclusion of uh, what the Lord is uh, trying to get us to understand and who we are in Christ and what we are in Christ. And so um, if we begin to look at verse 19, 20, 21, and 22, you're going to see three analogies in which the Lord makes uh, concerning this truth. And I wanna, want us to look at it together. I want you to see, because I want you to see how God sees you. Because it's important that we see ourselves the way God sees us. And I, I really believe that if we see ourselves the way God sees us, It'll change how we live, and it'll change how we walk. And so if you would, wherever you are, if you are able, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word, and let's begin reading in verse number 19. The Bible says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Let's pray. Father... I just pray you'd make these truths clear. I pray you'd make them uh, very, very understandable to our hearts and to our lives. Father, I pray you'd break light on us tonight. And Father, we would see ourselves the way you see us. I pray that, Father, as we study these three truths together, uh, Father, that you glorify yourself in what you do in our lives and through our lives as we walk in the reality of these truths. And we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at these verses tonight, what we're going to see is these three analogies in which God paints a picture of how He sees us. Now, the first analogy is going to be that of a fellow citizen within His kingdom. The second analogy has to do with you and I as being family, the household of God. And in that picture, we're going to see as family, again, that aspect of unity that begins to take place. And in the third analogy, which to me is, is one of the most profound analogies I can ever know, is this. God now views us as a building. More specifically, that building as he views us as the temple of his habitation. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight are these three marvelous truths of how God sees us. Now, remember what we've already looked at. We've looked and we saw that now uh, the Gentiles and Israel who have come to the place of, of giving themselves in, in faith and surrender and repentance to the Lord Jesus, they're no longer seen as two. They're now seen as one. And they now come under the umbrella or they come under the unity of the person of the Lord Jesus. And so therefore, there's no more division between these two people. 
now all of a sudden they become brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when he begins verse 19 with these three analogies he's given us, he's given us in this respect that now God sees those of Israel that's come to the saving knowledge of Christ, those of you and I, the Gentiles, that's come to the saving knowledge of Christ, now he sees us in this way as one, as his building, as his family, and as his fellow citizens in his kingdom. Now remember what we looked at last time. Therefore, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer male or female. All of us are seen the same under the light of God because all of us are seen in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's begin to break down verse 19 and, and through verse 22. I want you to look first at the unified fellowship of the reconciled. The unified fellowship of the reconciled. You see this in two ways. You see this first in the unity of fellow citizens. Notice what it says here. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Now, listen, 95% of all Bible scholars will agree that this idea, this term fellow citizens, is referring to those that have come under the citizenship of one kingdom. Now, remember, when you and I were lost, listen, we were strangers. We were aliens. We were enemies against God. But yet only those that are citizens of a kingdom can approach the king of a kingdom. If you're not a citizen of the kingdom, you can't approach the king of the kingdom. And the picture here is, is we're no longer, listen, we're no longer who we were. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer foreigners, if you will. We're no longer refugees. We're now citizens of a heavenly kingdom, and Christ is the head. And this is the glory of it all. So in other words, we belong to the kingdom of God to serve him as king. And that's the picture in which Paul is trying to paint here. Now, the glorious thing about this is when he uses this language, now therefore you are no more strangers. He, he speaks of that in a, in a, it's a Greek word called the indicative, which means this. He's informing us of a fact that's already been accomplished. So in other words, it's not that I work towards my citizenship. It's not that I earn my way into citizenship. Hey, here's the reality. God made you and I a citizen when he saved us. And the amazing thing is, it's also present, which means this. It means that work that he's done, making us a citizen, he's informing us. It is a settled fact. It continues on and on and on. Let me tell you what that means. Nobody can revoke your citizenship. In other words, you become a citizen and you'll always be a citizen of his kingdom. Now, a lot of people will say, well, kingdom principles are only for the Jews. Well, I got news for you. The primary audience of Ephesians here is Gentiles and he's writing about these kingdom principles. Also, Paul spoke of kingdom principles with the church of Colossae. He spoke of these kingdom principles with other churches. And folks, you and I need to understand, if kingdom principles were only for Jews, then guess what? Only Jews will be in the millennial kingdom and not Gentiles. But I got news for you. I'll be there and they'll be there. And if you're saved today, you'll be there. The whole gospel is about the kingdom of God. And you and I come under the authority of him as our king. 
So Paul says here, there's a unity between Jew and Gentile, between every people that come under the person of the Lord Jesus. And that unity is we have one citizenship and that citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And so this is the first analogy he gives. I want you to look at the second analogy. Not only the unity of fellow Christians, but the unity of family. Notice what it says. And it says, and of the household of God. So in other words, he's drawing back from the earlier statement. He says, I've made you no longer foreigners, but I've made you citizens. And now he now puts it in the same context, and of. In other words, in the same way I made you citizens, in the same way I've now made you the household of God. I've made you the family of God. So in other words, here's what this principle teaches. So as a kingdom citizen, we belong to the kingdom of God to serve him as king. But as the family of God, we are members of a family of God to love him as father. So in other words, we have a king, but we also have a father. We have a king that governs, guides, directs, but we have a father that protects and, and helps and provides and is sufficient for every need. So in, as a kingdom citizen, we serve. As a family member, we love. And here's the wonderful, glorious truth of it all, that God didn't just make you a citizen, he made you a son. He made you, the Bible says, the sons of God, the family of God. And you and I have become part of the habitation or the family or the household of God. Now, I want you to listen to what this entails. This means that God sees you, sees me that are saved, in the same light as he sees his own son. Now you say, well, preacher, that's impossible. Well, but can I tell you? It's the only way he can see you. He can't see you any other way. If he saw you outside of his son, listen, you'd still be a foreigner. You'd still be an alien. But God sees you in the same light as he sees his son. You say, preacher, you can't prove that anywhere in the Bible. Oh, yes, I can. Listen to what the Bible says. There's a verse, I don't have it on your list or anything, but the book of Hebrews says this, but he who is sanctified and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. So in other words, he who, is, who sanctifies, who's that? Christ. He who is sanctified, who's that? Us. Where is it where we come from? Well, by one Father. And then the Bible goes on to say, therefore he's not ashamed to call us brethren. I mean, listen, isn't it amazing that you and I were enemies? But now, God calls us son. Listen to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, now listen, as a son over his own house, whose house are we? Or better translated this way, whose house you are. In other words, you've become the household, the family of God. And this is the glorious, mighty, 
amazing privilege we have in our unity that came through our salvation. And so what we find here is a unified fellowship. We have fellowship with God as his citizens. We have the privilege to approach him as king. And we have fellowship with God as family. Can you ever imagine a loving, caring father turning away from his son? Well, can I tell you, the Bible says that we can come boldly before the throne of God as his citizens. But the Bible says we can also cry, Abba, Father, as his sons. And so the glorious privilege that we have in grace is a king and a father. And this is what Paul's trying to get these of the church of Ephesus to understand is the glory of their position in Christ. Well, I want you to look second. Secondly, the unmovable foundation of the reconciled. Now he begins this third analogy of a building. But he begins by laying out what the foundation of this building is. Notice what he says in verse 20. And art built up the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So he gives us two foundations here. Now, so let's go back. Remember, as a fellow citizen, we now have a, are in a kingdom in which we serve him as king. As family, we're sons in which we love him as father. But now he's dealing with us as a building, and we're going to find out in a minute, that building is defined as a temple. And, and here's what he's saying, that we have become the temple of God to display his presence and his holiness. And so here is what God has done. But notice the foundation of this building, the foundation of Scripture. He says, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Who's he talking about? Well, the apostles being the, the twelve in which God set aside unto himself. And then the prophets being all the Old Testament saints that gave shadow and tithe of what was yet to come. And then the apostles come along and laid the foundation upon what the prophets had spoken in shadow and tithe. In other words, it's talking about the revealed, spoken word of God, the Scriptures. Now listen to what I'm about to say. If the Scriptures are not the foundation, of our lives individually and our lives corporately, then we need to close the doors and go home. Because what's happening today is we are creating all these things that we call ministry and all these things that we call good and we're taking them out of the confines of Scripture and we're moving outside of Scripture and forming our own ways, our own way of doing things because we think it's helpful and we think it's good. But the problem is when you go to the Word of God, it does not sift out. And you and I need to understand that the basis of everything God has to do with is the Scriptures. And if anything is done that's outside the confines of the Scriptures, now I'm going to make a bold statement here. I know I'm going to rub people wrong. I know I'm going to make some people mad here. So you just hang on to your recliner where you are, grip it real tight, because I don't want you to get it bent out of shape, but I want to make this statement right now. That if the Scriptures, if whatever's done, is not in conjunction with the Scriptures, God has nothing to do with it. That's right. Nothing. 
Because the scriptures are the foundation of God's building. And whenever we work outside of the realm of scriptures, folks, listen, we have went astray. Churches today are being built on entertainment. They're being built on, on felt needs of man. They're being built upon what man wants or what man don't want. I got news for you. If a church is not built on the Word of God, hey, last time I checked, God already designed His church. I don't have to change it with the times. I just have to go with what God says. And I want to tell you, the only thing God honors is what God says. And you and I need to understand that as the building, the foundation of that building is the Scriptures. Here's a verse you know very, very well. You, you've probably heard me say it. You've... You've probably quoted it a million times over. In the first New Testament church, those first 3,000 converts in Acts 2, listen to what it says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' singing. Is that what it says? In the apostles' doctrine. Fellowship and breaking of bread in prayer. Boy, I hear everybody trying to find reasons why not to come together to worship. Well, I want to got news for you. Boy, that New church, Testament church, they just wasn't cutting edge, I guess. I mean, they just wasn't. I mean, listen, that, you, you say, why'd they meet every day? You ever thought they had a desire to? You ever thought that maybe they just couldn't get away from the Word of God? I mean, listen. I mean, the Spirit of God put a desire in their heart. They couldn't, you say, preacher, are you saying we ought to meet every day? I'll be here if you will. I mean, I, listen, I'm just telling you, if we really want to get serious here, I, listen, I, I pray that through this time we can't meet together. You get such a hunger in your heart to meet together that the Word of God begins to penetrate your heart, that you can't get away from it, and you'll beg to come together. The foundation of scriptures. But listen to this. The foundation of the Savior. It says, And he built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now I want you to hear this statement. The apostles and the prophets laid the foundation of truth. But Jesus Christ is the foundation that they laid. He is the Word made carnal. He is the Word made flesh. He is the Rima. He is the Logos. He is the Word made flesh. And so the foundation that we build upon is the Scriptures. But when we build upon the Scriptures, let me tell you something. We're building up upon the Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Bible uses this terminology here that He is the chief corner stone you know it's amazing about the cornerstone when we were in israel one of the things that our tour guide pointed out to us in israel was we got to see the walls the original walls of jerusalem and one of the amazing things was there was the cornerstone of the wall in which the tour guide pointed out to us and it was massive and what reason he was showing it to us was trying to show us the, the amazing feat in which it took for, for them to move a stone that big into that place. I, 
I'm, I'm guessing here, but that stone would probably be almost as long as from this platform all the way to this back wall in our sanctuary. It was huge. But the thing about that stone on the corner of that building is the whole building was based upon the placement of that one stone. The measurements were, pl- were done by the basis of that one stone. The, the erection of the building, how they built one stone upon a t- another, was based upon the placing of that one corner stone. So if Jesus Christ is our corner stone, then how in the world can we grow, function, if Christ is not the center of everything that we are and everything that we do. Isaiah chapter 28. The Bible says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for a foundation, firmly placed. He he who believes in it, now listen to this, will not be disturbed. Let me translate that. Will not be moved. If you get the cornerstone in place right, that building will not be moved. It's unmovable. The cornerstone is the basis of everything. The Bible goes on to say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings, Jesus speaking of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which has built his house upon a rock, and the rain descendeth, and the flood came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descendeth, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now listen to what I'm about to say. These so-called churches, they're not centered in Scripture and not centered in the Savior. I want you to listen to me. If persecution ever comes to America, they'll collapse like a house of cards because there's no foundation. There's no foundation. You see, the building of God is based upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, No other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. No other foundation will work but Him. Our Christian life is based upon Him, His life. Our, our function as a church is based upon Him as our head. I mean, our, our, the function of what we do in ministry is based upon Him as the revealed Word. Everything, everything revolves around the person of the Lord Jesus. And I don't know why. I don't know why people are trying to come up with new ways and new things that are not consistent with the Word of God. But I'll tell you this, it won't stand. So let me just sum this up by saying this. If Christ is the cornerstone in which our building stands, then here's the truth. Then as his building, we are built up from Christ. So in other words, you lay the cornerstone, 
first. And then you lay one on top of the other from the cornerstone. So it begins with Christ. Let me ask you a question. When you were saved, who did it begin with? Christ Jesus. But Christ Jesus is not only the cornerstone, but he's the capstone. Now you say, what do you mean the capstone? Well, the capstone is the crown stone. It's the last stone laid in the building. It's called the crowning stone. So not only are we built up from Christ, we are built up into Christ. Because guess who finishes the work? Guess who completes the building? Guess who perfects the structure? It's Jesus Christ. So we're built up from Christ, and we're built up into Christ. Sinclair Ferguson, a scholar of old, he, he gave this statement. I wrote it down. I want to quote it to you because I think it's very, very telling. And I want you to listen to this statement. And I quote, The whole church is viewed here as being built on Christ, held together in place by Christ, taking its fundamental shape from Christ. He is the stone on which all else depends. So we're built from Christ. We are shaped from Christ. We were built on Christ, and we're held together by Christ. So let me ask you a question. Why would we want to deviate and make man and man's needs the center of our attention when the center of our attention ought to always be Christ? I remember I listened to a message years and years ago by a name called, man named Paris Reedhead. And Paris Reedhead sensed that he was being called to a, a place in Africa that nobody had ever been. And his mindset was, I'm going because they need Jesus. And his whole mindset was, man needs Jesus. And I'll never forget what he says in that message. He said, I went down there. He said, I found out not only did they not want Jesus, they had already heard of Jesus, and they didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. And he, I, he said, I remember. He said, I got so dis in despair. He said, I got on my face before God, and I said, God, why in the world did you send me down here? Why in the world did you send me down here? These people don't want nothing to do with you. They've heard of you, and they don't want nothing to do with you. Paris Reedheads made this statement. I thought it was one of the most penetrating statements I'd ever heard. He said, the Spirit of God spoke to his heart. And he said, what makes you think I sent you down here for them? I sent you down here for me, for my glory. What happens to these people that you're preaching to, that's up to me. I sent you down here for my glory. You let me take care of it. And I want to tell you something, folks. If we're not careful, we'll get so focused on man's needs that we lose the perspective that our foundation is Christ and Christ alone. It's called pragmatism. It's, it's a mindset whereby that we focus all that we do on the basis of what man needs and man wants. But can I tell you, all that we do is on the basis of what God says and what God has already said. 
And so this is that glorious picture. So we see here the unified fellowship of the reconciled. We see the unmovable foundation of the reconciled. But I want you to see thirdly the unshakable framing of the reconciled. The unshakable framing of the reconciled. Notice what it says here in verse 21. In whom all the building... Now, who's the in whom? Christ. Remember, he's the foundation. So everything comes from Christ. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. So here he defines what this building is, a temple. Now, you have to understand, for the church of Ephesus, they were very familiar with that term temple. And it wasn't the temple that used to be in Jerusalem that was destroyed. No, no, no. Their familiarity with the, with the temple was the goddess Diana. It was one of the wonders of the world, they would call it. And now Paul comes along and says, Hey, listen, Ephesus. Listen, you that's been saved. I want you to know that you don't have to look at this temple of Diana as one of the wonders of the world. Let me tell you the greatest wonder of all the world, that God made you His temple. You don't have to look at a temple from the outside. You are the temple of God. And God frames it and God fits it together. Notice the rearing of the building of God. You're going to see three things here, the engineering of God's building. You say, what do you mean the engineering? Notice what it says. It says, in whom all the building fitly framed. The word fitly framed is passive, means it is God that puts the pieces together. It is God that unifies. It is God that places. It is God that forms this building. This word fitly framed has the idea of carefully joining every component, every stone, every piece, every wall, every structure into one cohesive unit that cannot be moved and cannot be. Shaken. And God engineers His church. Listen. Committees do not grow a church. My opinion and your opinion doesn't fit a church. But what God has said and what God does, He knows how to frame a church. He knows how to jointly fit it all together. Notice the edifying of God's building. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto. Groweth unto. Now the picture here is, We've been made a temple when God saved us. He Listen, what makes a temple a temple? His presence. So when God saved us, he gave us his presence. That's what makes you and I a temple. But notice it says here that we groweth unto a holy temple. In other words, a holy God lives in, but a holy God wants to manifest himself through. And so here's the picture. God began to build. You and I, the day he saved us. But listen to me. Until you breathe your last breath, the scaffolding 
stays up. God's still working on you. God's still working on me. It's called sanctification. And so the picture here is, is God fitly frames, but then God edifies. God builds up in our individual lives and corporately together. God does this work. He's the one working on you and in you. But notice the last thing. Groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. This is the expectation of God's building. So when God told Moses to build the first tabernacle, when God told them to build the first temple, what was God's design? What was God's plan for that tabernacle or that temple? That it would be a place, and here's what God told Moses. God told Moses, build me a place where I will be with my people and I will be their God and they will be my people. So what was the whole center of everything God said to design in the tabernacle and the temple? The holy of holies, meaning the presence of God, where God would reside. Well, here's what God did. When God saved you, he began to erect in you that which you and I became the building, the temple of God. He took his residence, placed us in us. In other words, you and I became the holy of holies of a holy God. And here's what God's doing. God's still forming and fitting you that his presence cannot stay in you, but reside through you. And every day of your life, you ought to be growing more and more and more in the holiness of God. And God ought to be able to manifest himself more and more in your life every single day. Now I want you to look at this. So it says earlier we're family. Here it says that we're the temple. You know, there's something about these two that fit together. And you say, preacher, what is it? Well, there's something called genetic connection. Or there's a genetic relationship between a biological child and a biological father. And you say, well, what is that? Well, the child is a separate person from the father, yes. But would you agree that as you look around and you see children and you watch them for a period of time, they have a tendency to take on the characteristics of their biological parents? Well, what's the characteristic that is above every characteristic of God? Holy, holy, holy. So here's the truth of the matter. If I'm his building and I'm his son, and by the way, let me tell you this. The only way you get into the family of God is by birth or adoption. How many of you agree? If you're, if you're part of, a, of an earthly family, you either had to be born in that family or you had to be adopted in that family. Well, isn't it amazing God uses both terms for you and I? So in other words, God's saying, listen, you're in this family by birth, and your, your inheritance is by adoption. But your genetic connection is here's what God did. He says, when I became, your, I dwelt you, 
and you became my household, and you became my temple. I gave you my divine nature. And in giving you my divine nature, here's what happens. Now, you go out, and when people see you as my temple, they see me in my holiness. In my holiness. Have you ever thought that everywhere you go, you're saying something about God to a world? You say, preacher, I just, I just don't see it yet. Well, maybe this will help you. If you and I, as the church, corporately, are built up to be God's temple. You're, you are, and I are his temple personally. But 1 Corinthians 3 uses the term temple of God referring to the church corporately. So if I'm his temple personally and you're his temple personally, then you put us together and what are we? His temple. So what makes up a building called a temple? Well, stone. What if I told you the Bible says you're stones? But not just stones, but lively stones. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also as lively stones, living stones. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? These stones of that old temple in Jerusalem don't speak. No, but I'll tell you something. If you're saved today, you're a stone that speaks and walks and displays what's inside. Are built up a spiritual house. There's that family. A holy priesthood. There's the temple. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto God. How? How can I be acceptable unto God? By Jesus Christ and Him alone. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone. There's the quotation from Isaiah. Precious that believeth on Him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe He is precious, but unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builder disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Let me translate. In other words, that that is the corner piece of your whole life, that that makes up your whole life, Hey, it's the same person. It's the same cornerstone that the world looked at and said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the world today is looking at and saying, I don't want to yield to him. He means nothing to me. But you and I have become those living stones that testify of him. And notice what it says, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also you were appointed. So as I live as a living stone, reflecting as God manifests his presence in me and in you as a holy temple for his glory, it's going to rub some people wrong. But understand, it's not you that's rubbing them wrong. It's God in you that rubbed them wrong. Let me close. Not only the rearing of the building of God, but the resident of the building of God. 
Notice what it says in verse 22. In whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. You see two things here, a permanent resident. God moves in, he don't move out. Now here's the amazing picture of it all. God created Adam. And Genesis says he walked with God. Now the picture in Genesis is God living in Adam. And everything about Adam was centered in God. And God made one declaration. He said, Adam, don't you dare take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that moment that Adam did, God moved out. Then you find that God told Abraham to build a tabernacle. God's presence rested in that tabernacle. Then God said to build a temple. God's presence rested in that temple. And then Israel defiled the temple. And the Bible says God moved out. And then God found another temple. He sent His only begotten Son to walk up on this earth. And if you've seen Him, you've seen the Father. In other words, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. And He walked up on this earth. How did the people respond to Him? Well, they nailed Him to a cross. Jesus died, buried, rose again, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. So now, there's no temple upon this earth. But then it wasn't many days later that Pentecost happened. And God sent His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit indwelt man, the life of God in man. Now here's the amazing thing about the new covenant. Now God was never ever going to move out. Because the Spirit of God wouldn't allow somebody to defile His temple on a continuous basis. Now you've got to remember in the Old Testament the Spirit of God didn't indwell man. So when Israel defiled the temple of God over and over again, they didn't have the indwelling spirit to keep them from that. But now the Spirit of God keeps man from defiling his temple over and over again. Matter of fact, the Bible says that if you walk in a lifestyle sin, or, or if you will, using the analogy, if you're defiling the temple of God, you're not his. You never were a temple to start with. And God takes permanent residence inside you and I. But it's a powerful residence for a habitation of God through His Spirit. Listen to this, and I'm done. The most sacred and the most holy place in the world is not a towering cathedral that you can look at with awe and say, how in the world did that take place? The most sacred the most holy place in the world is in your heart. Because that's where God lives. That's where God dwells. Because you see, God made you his fellow citizen in his kingdom. He made you his son in his family.
and he made you his building, his temple for his presence. You say, preacher, I've never seen myself that way before. Well, that's how God sees you. And you may be listening and you say, preacher, that's never happened to me. I got good news for you. It's not his will that any should perish, but all come to repentance. You say, preacher, I, I want to be his temple. And I got good news for you. If he's dealing with your heart right here, right now, you just respond to what he says. But you may be listening and you say, preacher, I'm his temple. I remember the day God made me his temple. Remember the day God, the Spirit of God came in my life and changed me and I've never been the same. But preacher, I'm just not reflecting his holiness as I should. And I got good news for you too. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Listen. See yourself as a son in God's family. See yourself as a citizen in God's kingdom to serve Him. Oh, but see yourself as the holy of holies of a holy God. And here what happened. You'll never be shaken. You'll never be moved. And you'll always stay in unity. In fellowship with Him. Father, have Your will and Your way in each of our hearts tonight. Glorify Yourself, magnify Yourself, exalt Yourself. Father, I pray You would forgive me for, Father, not always allowing You to have free will and free reign in my life. I pray that, Father, you would mold and shape me into a temple that you would have the freedom to manifest your holiness through at any moment, at any day. I pray you would do that in all of us for your honor, your glory, and your namesake. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.